Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today our topic is on what is an offshore student? There's different ways to get a DVM degree, and one of them might be doing your degree outside of the United States and then coming to the United States to do your clinical rotation. And today I have a student who did that at Ross University and then did their clinical year at the University of Florida. Isn't that right, Blake? That's right, Alex. So Blake is my guest today. He um, is going to share with us about his experience at Ross University and what it was like to transition from Ross to UF. He's going to give us all those details because pre-vet students, you need to know all of your options. And this is an option that really worked for Blake, right, Blake? You enjoyed your experience. I really did. If I had to go back and choose, if somebody could say, you can go to any vet school that you want to, I would still go back to Ross University. I'm excited to dive into what you loved about it. But before we start, our pre-vet students always want to know, how did you prepare to go to vet school? So what are some things you did academically and pre-veterinary experience-wise that you could tell them about? Well, I think my experience was a little different. I actually played college football at the University of Massachusetts. And go Minutemen. That's right. And I, I think that prepared me a little differently than a lot of other students. Um, it was a little challenging on the academic side because I had almost a full-time job while trying to also maintain good grades for, for vet school and do extracurricular activities as far as, you know, working under a vet and things like that, I didn't really get the opportunity to do because I was always either during the season, in the off season, or even in the summers, we were always, you know, practicing. Then how did you know you wanted to be a vet if most of your time in undergrad was spent playing football? I grew up on a small town farm in Cochrane, Georgia. Um, my dad, we have about 80 head of Black Angus cow and also showed uh, sheep in 4-H and so that's something that I always enjoyed doing and kind of knew that I want to do something in the animal science field. Okay. Uh, would you say that being an athlete helped diversify your application? I definitely would. I, I don't think that there's um, too many people that come from that kind of background. Um, so I definitely think that that's something that helped me out, not only on a piece of paper, but in, in myself as well. And what position did you play? I was the kicker. So you were the kicker. I always tell students that athletes are wonderful because they kind of have built-in leadership skills. What else do you think are qualities that athletes have that can translate to vet med? Yeah, so I think uh, being in vet med that you always have to be a team player. Mm. Um, and that's something that we you have to obviously have to have a lot of as being on any kind of sports team. Um, as, as you mentioned, leadership and those types of things. And, and just being kind of self-driven, I think, really helps you. Uh, you know, being as from sports all the way to vet med. Yeah, because you guys have to get up, you have to do workouts, you probably have to get up early, you have to balance your schedule, so you have to be driven to do both. That's right, and that's probably the biggest thing that I learned was time management. Um, you know, we were up at six o'clock in the morning working out, and then had a full day of classes, and then we would go right into practice, and after practice, you would have study hall for two hours, and in that time, you have to find somewhere to eat. Oh, God. I have a feeling it kind of sounds like a clinical schedule for how busy you were. Yeah. And I feel like if you're an athlete, you guys probably can't complain about your schedule. So I feel like that's a really wonderful quality about a vet student. If you've already been put through that as an athlete, you're nothing's really going to bother you, I assume, because you've already been through so much. Yeah, it, it really kind of prepares you for that. And there really weren't a whole lot of complaints. I mean, it, it's kind of nice when you have your whole day planned out for you and you don't have to do any of that, which yeah. it can also be a negative as well. But just going through that as, you know, early and 
18 years old really helped me kind of um, prepare for things like vet school. The undergrad was mostly revolving around football. You applied to vet school. Talk to me about which schools you applied to and then how you ended up going to Ross. So my senior year, um, fall semester, I applied to six vet schools. Mm -hmm. Five were in-state and one was out-of-state, and that was Ross University. And why was Ross even on your list? I had talked to some of my advisors and counselors and things like that, um, and they kind of just gave me, you know, realistically, here's what you're looking at. And they thought that at that time, Ross would be just a good option for me. And you got into Ross. Did you get into any of the in-state schools at the time? Ross was the only school that I got into, um, and that was the spring of my senior semester. Okay, so students, Ross and St. George are our two main offshore schools, and they allow students to start vet school in the fall, spring, and summer. They also accept a large class, so there are more opportunities to get into vet school at those colleges because of how they've set up their admission cycle. So Blake, you got into that school and not your other five. Did you ever have any hesitation about should you apply again or did you know I'm ready to start? Yeah, so that was something that I, I thought a lot about and talked to my family and um, I'm sure that you've talked about before, applying your second time, you have a greater, a much greater chance of getting into a lot of schools and interviews and stuff like that. And I decided that it was best for me to go ahead and just and just start right away rather than waiting a whole nother year and then trying to reapply again the second time. Do you know why you think it was better for you to start? Because my students who are sitting at home, some of them might be in this exact same position where they will get into an offshore school and they have to decide, is it the right time for me to start? What what told you it was right? Well, for me, I was, I was just ready. Um, I didn't really have a backup plan at that time. Um, and so instead of you know, deciding do I, I want to try to go back to school and get a, a master's degree or something like that in the meantime, or what, do I want to go back to work under a veterinarian for another year or something like that? I decided that I would just rather go ahead and start vet school with what I had. Okay, so where is Ross? Ross is on St. Kitts and Nevis Island in the Caribbean. So in the Caribbean, I'm picturing beautiful beaches, tropical. Can you paint us a picture of what it's like out there? That is exactly what it's like. And the, the thing that I like most about St. Kitts was it's not very Americanized. So you get you still get the full, you know, culture and Caribbean experience there rather than going to some of these more Americanized and touristic islands that is kind of kind of close to what you would think of Miami or any beach in, in Florida would be like. What's the food like? The food's different. Um, there's a lot of, you know, you get some some meat, some rice, uh, lots of fresh fish, mm. which is really good there. I'm, I've heard that, like you said, it's not very Americanized. So you're on an island. I'm assuming you have less resources than you have in the States. So what are some things students can expect if they go to Ross? Like, is there a Target on the island? Like, where is their grocery store? What do they need to consider before they choose an offshore school? Yeah, that's something that's, that's really different down there. Um, there is no Target. There is no Walmart. I don't know if I could do it, Blake. I'm not sure if I could do it. Yep, it's, it's very different. Um, we have a KFC and a Subway and a Domino's on St. Kitts. That's it? That is all the American names of food restaurants that you would recognize. Oh my. Okay, so quite a different lifestyle these students need to be prepared to live. 
what is it like? Well, how did you how did you deal with it? It is, and especially one of the big differences that that I saw was the grocery stores. The grocery stores aren't these huge, glamorous um, stores that we have in America with you know all kinds of fresh produce and and just kind of anything that you can imagine that you want in there. Um, the grocery stores there are they actually it's an island, so everything has to be shipped there, right? Mm-hmm. And so everything comes on Thursday. So all the grocery stores are stocked up on Thursday. And that's when we, you know, as a student, you learn to go, okay, the, the, the shipment just came in. So let's go and get our groceries on Thursday or Friday. Oh rather than if you go in on Wednesday, there's not a whole lot on the shelves. So you need to plan ahead. You need to know that this is going to be the lifestyle you're leading. I think some of you listening at home, this probably excites you. I think there's some adventurous hearts out there who are like, I love this idea of not having everything handed to me like we do in the States. I like having to work for a little bit. And you get these gorgeous views, and that would be more enticing to you. What do you, What was the biggest inconvenience for you living out there? So I think the biggest inconveniences were being out there, there's lots of electricity problems. Mm-hmm. Um so we would be in the middle of class and electricity would go out for a few hours and oh geez and then people were frantically unplugging all of their uh you know electronics so that the power surge doesn't mess up their computers and stuff like that okay um and they also on some parts of the island they turn off the water at 10 p.m every night and it comes back on at 5 a.m the next morning painted a picture about what island life is like. Now tell me what a Ross curriculum is like. My understanding is it's seven semesters, pretty accelerated. How is it different than the states that you know of? So we do three semesters a year and seven total. Okay. And so we go all throughout the entire year and we have two weeks in between each semester. And our seventh semester is almost like a mini preclinical year mm-hmm. where throughout the semester we're doing different types of you know, clinicals as we, you would do here, here at Florida, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of get us in that transition period. What are the benefits of a schedule like that? So you actually graduate in three and a half years rather than four years that you would do at an, an American school. Oh, okay. Because you're saying three semesters. So that's spring, fall, summer, spring, fall, summer, and then a spring if you started in the spring, and then you do a year of clinicals. Oh yeah. So it is three and a half years. So yep. it's accelerated. That's right. What, is it taxing to be in school that fast and that long? You would think so, um, but you kind of get used to it. So we only get one day off a semester. We have a mid-semester break, which actually is really nice because you get a, a three-day weekend that time, and that's kind of your, okay, hey, I made it halfway. Let's go and have some fun, and then we'll come back, and we'll finish the, the second half strong. Um, and then you get you get two weeks off, and I found myself in those two weeks, I'll be like, okay, it was a good time to come and visit family and do some things that I wanted to back home, but now I'm ready to go back. Okay, so the schedule seems manageable. It is. And then how do they select which in-state school you do your clinical year? So our sixth semester, we we put down four schools that we were interested in, and we, we have several meetings leading up to this um, with one of, our, uh, one of our advisors who kind of takes control of this by himself. Um, and we go and speak to him, and, and he has a lot of things that, okay, Florida offers all of these um, things during clinics, and which can be completely different from somewhere you know up north in Ohio and things like that. Um, and so we kind of, based on what our interests are, mm-hmm. we kind of get to pick where we where we want to be placed at, and that is also based on your GPA. If you have a higher GPA, then you are more likely to get your first pick versus a lower GPA, you're kind of 
more selective to your top four. So are we saying that the in-state schools have no say in who they receive? It's based on y'all's decision and your GPA? For the most part, um, there are instances like here at the University of Florida where Florida wants to have us as a collective group of a 3.0 GPA average. Okay, so some of the schools might have some academic standards that they're saying you need to meet these criteria. Yes, and, and some schools even want um, just maybe just equine people. Mm. So all of our equine people like to go to, say, Texas A&M because that's what they are looking for from us. Is it ever based on where students' families are? Yes, that is another factor that comes into it. Um, one of my roommates actually has a, a wife and child back home um, in Texas. And so he obviously really wanted to go to Texas A&M. And that, I would say that probably overweighs your GPA and because they really understand that you want to be with your family. And so they'll kind of put that ahead of things. Did he get to go to Texas A&M? He did. Okay, oh, that would have been such a bummer. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so now doing your clinical year in one year is What's the main difference to me, other than being on an island, um, from UF? Because our students break it up. They do their, as you guys have heard many times, their sophomore summer and junior fall in the clinic. And then they do their junior spring and senior fall in the classroom. And then finally, their senior spring in the clinic. So we break it up for them. What is it like, or what was it like for you, to do your entire clinical year in a year? Well, I'll start off by saying it was the fastest year of my life. Huh. So I like to also say that I came in in the best and the worst of time. Mm -hmm. So I started in January, which is when your seniors come back onto clinics. So as far as, you know, being just getting there and kind of getting into things, I have to learn where everything is at, where pharmacy is at, where anesthesia is at. I have to also learn how to use Cornerstone. Which is our software. Exactly. And how to do all the paperwork and stuff like that. So I was definitely behind when I first came in compared to the senior students who had been doing that for eight months prior. Yeah. But I also had that benefit of them being super helpful as far as I can ask them several questions. And most of them were very, very helpful to me. Instead of going, I can ask a student beside me instead of going to the clinician or the resident and asking mm -hmm. them a million questions too. So this is some really, if you're playing the long game, my listeners out there, if you decide you wanted to go to Ross or St. George and you wanted to have the experience Blake had where you have senior students who are super prepared and can be helpful, you would want to start like Blake did in the spring. That's a really like long-term strategy to think about. But Blake's right. If he had started in the summertime, it would be the brand new juniors who knew nothing. So you'd be in the same boat, but then you're all learning together, which can have some teamwork and camaraderie, but you're all going to the clinician with questions versus starting in the spring where Blake could look to his left or right and ask a senior student. And that's something that I was off, I was able to offer, you know, the the sophomore students when they came in the summer because yeah. I had been there for yeah. some time. And so I knew how to use Cornerstone. I knew where everything was at. And I, I was able to, you know, give back the way that they, they were to me in, in January. What was your Florida clinical experience like? It was definitely tough, but it was nice to kind of switch my myself from a student into a doctor. That's what really helped me to do. Um, I, I, start, I had to start thinking, you know, not just on a, on a, paper note basis, but kind of thinking, you know, internally and, and get things flowing in a more um, productive way as far as treating animals and stuff like that. And that is the difference for our students because they go back and forth from being the doctor back to the student because our students have to have the transition 
back and forth from the classroom to the clinic. So once Blake got settled in the clinic, that's what he did for the entire year. What was your favorite rotation? I loved internal medicine. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I feel like that's a hard one for a lot of students. I actually took it twice. Because you liked it so much? Because I liked it that so much. And I really enjoy the clinicians that taught there. Dr. Hill and Dr. Walton are amazing. What did you like about it? I, I liked um, just kind of having an animal with a problem, um, an internal problem, obviously, and kind of coming up with all the differentials. They wouldn't let you come up with just a few. If you're missing some, they will let you know. And it kind of gives you, you know, just a, a feeling of, okay, I have this this whole problem here and what am I going to do to figure out? What am I going to do to rule out some of these problems? Mm -hmm. And that's what I really enjoyed about it the most. Awesome. What was it like to have to study for the NAVLI while on clinics? That's something our Florida experience, our Florida students don't experience because they're back in the classroom studying for it. So it's definitely different for me. I had two options. I could have taken it in the spring, um, but I would have only been on clinics for three months. So I decided not to do that. I know some of my other um, classmates from Ross did do it and did very well with some of that. Um, but I decided to take it in December instead. And I was actually finished with all of my clinics by that time. And I was able to you know, take a good just two weeks to myself studying just for the Navali to prepare for it. And I think that clinics was the, the thing that helped me the most prepare for it. And so by having all of that finished, then I was... I was very well prepared for it. So it sounds like Blake really planned his schedule in the best way possible. I know that not all of the offshore students who take it in December are off clinics when they take it. So for you, it really worked out. Um, as we're recording this podcast, we are waiting for Blake's NABLI results. He has seven days before he gets them. So whether or not he gets them before or after this podcast comes out, um, you'll all have to send Blake well wishes wherever you are because hopefully he'll be practicing by the time this podcast comes out. Okay, so Blake, I know that you had a wonderful experience at Ross. Go ahead and sum up for us what Ross taught you as a human. So I, I think it, it just made me a better person overall um, through all of the inconveniences and, and stuff like that. For, for another example, a lot of people don't have um, internet service on the island. You, you can get it. Um, it's kind of expensive. I, I chose not to. Um, they Ross does give you a, like a, a prepaid cell phone that you can use on to, to call your, you know, either you have to be on call for clinics or you have to, you know, call taxis and stuff like that. You have that, that ability, but I think I used mine three times and, and that was it. So I just kind of dealt with, you know, we have internet service, so everybody use Facebook Messenger and stuff like that. But, w but when you're out and you don't have cell phone service, um, you, you kind of... A lot, I feel like a lot of times we get glued to our phones, especially here in America. And another difference was, in, you know, in America, there's a bunch of hustle and bustle to get stuff done as fast as possible. Whereas on the island, it's definitely the term island time. <laughs> and so it, it kind of makes you slow down and just, just appreciate things more. Um, also being, you know, in a, in a different environment and, you know, a, a different culture. And I, I was also, I'm a minority there. And that's something I never experienced in America. Um, which kind of gave me a different perspective. And I think that it allows me to to connect with my clients a little more as a doctor, mm. being a, in that position and kind of getting that perspective inside of things. You've been through a lot of transitions. I have from Georgia to Massachusetts to St. Kitts to Florida. And I think that probably has made you a very um, 
attractive candidate for all of the clinicians out there who need to hire new students. Tell the students what your hiring experience has been like. How many offers did you get? What's the deal with that? So the way that I chose to go about, um, you know, pursuing a job was I put my resume on the AVMA website. And um, Caitlin, I know that you talked about and had on your Love podcast Caitlin. before. Go Caitlin. She was awesome in helping me prepare to do this. And so I put my resume out there and had 75 responses through email or phone calls about potential job offers. And through that, I was able to pick three that I, I really um, wanted to find more about. And so I went and did um, working interviews at all three of those and made my decision from that. Congratulations on that. Again, shout out to Caitlin. Way to go, Caitlin. Blake, what advice do you have for our pre-vet students, specifically relating to potentially choosing an offshore school? So I, it's definitely something that you should consider um, if you think that it, it's it's the right time and place for you. Like like I said, I was able to, to go and do that. And instead of waiting a whole another year to reapply and, you know, actually getting done in three and a half years, I, I feel like it was a uh, a great experience for me and I became a better person and a better vet because of it. So students, keep your options open. We tell you that time and time again. What you think you want to do in the profession might not be what you end up doing and where you think you want to go for vet school might not be where you end up going, but it can make you an adaptable, flexible, driven future veterinarian, just like it did for Blake. Blake, thank you so much for being on the podcast. How was the experience for you? Because this was your first podcast. It was. I was a little nervous, but I think you did a really good job. I think you did a really good job. I'm Alex Avellino. We'll talk to you soon.